0: okay, as I promised, I'll open up. I'm all I'm all riled up, boys. So <laughs> here all comes right. my anti Apple rants. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll lay the scene. So i uh, I have this twenty seventeen MacBook Pro, and this is one of those uh, laptops with the infamously shitty butterfly keyboards. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice at the time uh, when I bought it uh, that this was that big of a problem. So I've had it for almost f- about four years now, four and a half years. It already failed a couple of years ago and I had to get it replaced, but it was within the, the warranty period of like AppleCare uh, or whatever. They also had to put on an additional warranty, which I'll get to later. Mm-hmm. So I got it replaced. Uh, but lately, one of my keys stopped working and I saw that there was this warranty out. So then I took it to them. And I thought I could get a fix for free. Like last time they're like, oh, I'm sorry. That warranty is only good for four years. And it's, you've had it for four and a half years. So sorry, you got to replace the whole thing because even though it's just like one key, it's a fucking H key, they have to replace everything. The top case, even the speakers, I I think even the ports and all that shit. (laughs) And they're like, oh yeah, it'll, it'll cost you about $500 to replace one key. The cost of almost a whole fucking new laptop. And I, I just, I was just like, this is your design flaw you designed it this way and you fucked it up and now you're gonna make me basically uh, buy almost a whole new laptop just to replace one key. And they were you know, the store, the first guy I talked to, he was like a nice guy and he was saying, you know, our our store can't do anything, but you know, you should try calling Apple care and they might be able to help you out. I call Apple care. They put me on hold for a while and, and uh, they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's only four years. So I get pissed off. I hang up on them and I try to talk to another representative at the store. And then, you know, they try to uh, look into it and they're like, yeah, we can't replace the whole key. We gotta replace the whole thing. And and I'm sorry, you just didn't fit in the four year window. So uh, you're just gonna have to replace it. I'm just like, again, this this is your design flaw. In four and a half years, this keyboard has failed catastrophically twice. Like as I said, like they designed it the way that if one little thing uh, breaks, you gotta replace the whole thing. And then they start talking about how, well, you know, the the life cycle of a laptop is is like four years. Uh, like I understand that you know technology can fail, but this is fucking Apple. They, they price their thing in a way that makes it seem like it, it is heads above everyone else. They have that stupid design in California bullshit that think <laughs> different bullshit. And they can't even make a, a, a keyboard that doesn't break two years. Now, what really pisses me off is imagine if say,, like, you know all the fucking jokes they make about like Hyundai or, or any of those like, especially like Asian companies where things don't last and, and they make it seem like shit, you fucking mm-hmm. Apple, you can't make a fucking laptop uh keyboard, the the one thing that that has to work. You can't make that uh work for more than two years and and you act like you're some hot shit. And this stupid piece of shit uh representative, <laughs> he was talking about how well at, at a certain point it's your consumer responsibility. What? It's not my responsibility to make sure your shitty ass. Words, uh, wait, wait, wait. What is you, what you mean by that That's crazy.
1: What or, or, what is the meaning of that? Like they've I don't literally said your he, consumer responsibility. Yeah, Those he said totally, after a certain okay. point
0: with, with like an electronic device, it becomes consumer responsibility. Oh,
1: I see. I mean, and he, he it was, was trained, just was, They were clearly baby. trained to say that. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, and he, he made it seem like it was, they were doing me a favor for having fixed their crappy design in the first place like in you know you've owned this for four years but you know you haven't paid anything uh to have it fixed until potentially now first of all i paid for apple care so it's not like i didn't pay anything and for again it's your fucking design flaw. you can't make a a, a keyboard last longer for than two years the shittiest uh remember those what what do you call those netbooks or whatever like (laughs) the shittiest ones of those those keyboards lasted for longer than two years and they can't do that and they call themselves a fucking premium company you know what uh, I don't know if like Huawei or any of those Chinese uh, companies are stealing from them. If they are, I hope they steal from them. I hope they take all their technology. I hope them, they fuck them in the ass so hard they get die from like a prolapsed <laughs> anus or whatever the version of, of that is. Tim Apple, fuck you, <laughs> motherfucker.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Chris! I feel like you've raged a lot on this show, but never this much. Um,
0: Again, it's like okay, if it was like a, a Microsoft or a Dell computer and, and it fucked up, I'd be, I'd be, yeah, I'd be angry, but it's, it's like, like yeah, whatever. Sure it's, it's that f- Remember, like one of the first uh, planning episodes we ever did was on Apple and their bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, this was my most direct uh, encounter with that. It just encompasses all the bullshit. Kind
1: of, I mean, it is fucked up because it's an otherwise great and definitely not obsolete machine. And right. Right. Is, so. It, yeah. My
0: thing is, like, hell, I'm going to give Apple $500. I'm going to use this until, like, every joule uh, of energy I suck from from it dry. I'm going to get one of those, like, rollout keyboards, uh, <laughs> which, you know, I, actually, if they had suggested that, like, sir, like, we're sorry about this, but you know what, you, you, we might, you know, even if they like, threw in, like, a, like a $20 dollars rollout keyboard, I would have appreciated it, you know, just like, okay, you know, shit happens to electronics, whatever. It's obviously not the sales rep's fault. He didn't design this. He's not the... He's not the uh, you know, manufacturer or whatever. But it's just like fucking attitude, that whole uh, Apple company image and all that shit. So yeah, but people I'm, keep
1: buying ma- – I mean, I, I, here's here's what I'm going to put money – well, I don't know if I'll put money down on you. You, you do seem pretty mad, but <laughs> they don't use the butterfly keyboard anymore, the new M1. Yeah, they
0: changed it. They call it the yeah. scissor
1: keyboard, I think, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they don't have the same design flaw, so – I think you're gonna go with another MacBook Pro. No, I no, think no. that's gonna be no
0: fuck that. Um, because no, no, I probably I... wasn't gonna get a high-end laptop again anyway, because uh, Adam uh, hey Adam, what's up? He helped me build this nice um, desktop computer. Ooh. So now I, I would have probably gotten a Chromebook anyway, because the only thing I really needed it for it is if I ever go, you know, writing at a cafe, I just need something to write on. But hell no, I'm definitely not buying okay, another we'll th- Okay, we'll, we'll
1: lock this down. But I think <laughs> when it comes down to it, you're going to go look at the Chromebook. You're going to calm down by then. <laughs> and you're going to use the trackpad. And you're like, you know, it's just not the same. You know, that big-ass Apple trackpad. It's just not the same. No trackpad technology, and- I think
0: the PCs have caught up. Like when I... The thing is, like the first laptop i ever had was a shitty-ass Toshiba satellite. That thing was terrible. It weighed like 10 pounds. Battery life was like half an hour from the get-go. And it was just not good. And then, and then I switched to a MacBook and that lasted me for seven years. That was a good computer. I really liked that. Mm-hmm. That's why I bought another MacBook. After this experience, fuck that. No MacBooks, no, no iPhones either. I have to okay. switch my Look, phone. I want to believe you, but I anyway. feel kind of
1: like, you know, Joe, Joe Goldberg's like neighbor. The You know how she's always like <laughs> Look, disavowing dude, that let's, abusive Let's, put a, cop let's bastard. put a bet on this, uh, which <laughs> yeah. will
0: be further motivation. Not that I need any, but further motivation for me, uh, n- my next laptop and my next phone will not be Apple products. Wow. Okay. I, mean, I just I think feel you're like, in a,
1: you're an abusive relationship with Apple. You're feeling very emotional and angry right now. But eventually, they will win you back.
0: <laughs> no, fuck that. <laughs> that's your bet. I so mean, I get, I get they the frustration. I get the
2: frustration. You're either forced to basically pay 500 bucks or pay 2,000 bucks to Apple if you're
0: going to stick with them, right? Like
2: yeah. I totally yeah. get it, why it's, it's such it's a...
1: It's total bullshit. Yeah. 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 yeah, And It's a perfectly good machine except for this one key.
0: <laughs> right. No, that's the thing. That's yeah, why I'm going to keep using it. Just type without Hs, man. Just stop typing H words and you're good to go. And and then the whole idea that you are supposed to replace a laptop every four years, I, get, I like, guess I guess so. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous.
2: Hey man, I, I, I hear still those. Using I my
1: PC from seven years ago. It's perfectly fine. Yeah.
2: Great. Hey, I'm just saying. I hear those Huawei uh, Matebooks are really fucking good. Just, just yeah. so
1: you know. As I said, I'm not going to get like a
0: top end laptop again. But if if I were, I'd probably get something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. All right. Uh, so rant over. Let let's uh let's start this episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm Chris, here with my boys, Teen and Philip. What's up, guys? What up? up? How are you doing? Jess was supposed to join us, but unfortunately, she had something come up, so we'll really miss her. She would have added a lot to this happy podcast Happy Chinese episode. New Year's
1: to everyone, too. I, it's a day early, but uh, oh, yeah. probably if they listen happy to cat, this, it's going to be New Chinese New Year. Yeah. yeah.
0: Just a reminder that if you sign up for our Patreon for $5, you'll get access to our weekly bonus episodes. That's, so that's twice the Escape from Plan A content. You'll also get access to our Discord. Uh, which you'll get to talk to everyone who's there, including us. Uh, the hosts are quite active in it. So please go to www.patreon.com planameg to subscribe. Uh, so this episode will all be about the anti-work subreddit and and the greater ideology or philosophy behind it. Uh, and as I said, like, we just would have been a great contributor, but unfortunately she can't be here. But us 3 were a great team, so we're going to make this episode <laughs> great. Uh, before we get started, I did want to bring up this hilarious fight club incident uh the china
2: China fight club thing is that yeah so apparently
0: china edited the ending of fight club so that the the project Mayhem people don't win uh i guess the corporations (laughs) or the authorities win and then for some reason this became news in america uh and then i think the day or two later the author chuck Polinick comes out and is like actually that ending uh, fits better with my original version, and he brought up all the times that a lot of American theaters or libraries have tried to ban his book, and that got people mad. I just <laughs> thought that was very funny. Uh Your guys' thoughts?
2: I just when I saw that, I was like, "How do they do it?" Right? Because I remember the final scene; they show this like kind of okay CG scene of them blowing up all these towers in some city, and instead they're getting arrested by cops in in the Chinese version. So they just like doing like a post credit roll or something like that to give away the epilogue. I I, I just want to see how they they executed on that, you know, that change to the ending. Um, but I thought it was funny. I thought, I mean, Ch- Chuck Palahniuk sounded like he was pretty amused, but also like happy <laughs> with mm-hmm. the change. Um, and I, I don't know how Americans reacted to his reaction, but I would love to see that too.
1: I don't think he was happy with it. I think he was saying, um, he specifically pointed out that, you know, he had faced a lot of, uh uh, censorship in America, including you know publishers that wanted him to change it, and his book being banned in prisons and schools and stuff. In prisons, okay. And so he said, "Look, I'm not. I I have been outspoken about censorship for a while now, and it seems like people only get upset if the Chinese do it." And I'm like, "And he's like, it's oh, he funny because it that. doesn't even affect them." Wow. And so the the American I don't know what the American response was, but the response in the comments of the article where I saw this was you know your typical uh, you know you know he's a fucking communist you know all this stuff they they, <laughs> they, they turned on him oh yeah wow. so yeah nothing nothing is too sacred um, you know if you're seen as like being too too sympathetic against for the you know for Chinese wrongdoing I don't think he was saying the Chinese were right to do it I think he was just saying that it didn't bother him nearly as much as it bothered some other people because he was like, I've been dealing with American censorship for a long time and no one's Mm -hmm. one's really been angry about that. So I don't really give a shit about this.
0: I just read a novel by his called Invisible Monsters. I think this was actually the first book he ever wrote, but he couldn't get it published because the story's pretty out there. It's about this model who gets her face blown off and she has like no jaw. So she's kind of like a monster and she's like trying to get revenge on this guy. And you find out a whole bunch of things that happens. There's a lot of a trans character, who so you learn a lot about just the, the kind of like ins and outs of that world. And I'm sure at the time it was written, that was considered just like, I don't know, like hell. Like if you just read this, you'll go to hell kind of thing, even by <laughs> so-called liberals. So yeah, he's, he's no stranger to having people be upset and want to suppress his work in America. Did
2: you, did you ever read his short story called Guts? No. I've only read Fight Club and that short story called Guts, and it's it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever read in my life. Oh, really? I, I've been on the internet for a while, so, okay, um, so I'll you should, check, it, you out check it out. Yeah, you should check it out. Anyway. <laughs>
0: All right. Okay, uh, let's delve into Anti-Work, the subreddit, which is suddenly... I mean, it, it was very relevant just like throughout the last few months, but it, there was just this, like, this Fox News interview that suddenly uh, brought this to everyone's attention at the forefront so okay who wants to give a summary of of this subreddit because i'm not the most familiar with this
1: i i only heard of our anti-work recently so i don't know the history of it but i know that um it's not new i think it's probably been around i'm looking at what you wrote in in our outline 2014 i guess is Mm -hmm. when you kind of stuck the uh start the the sort of origin of it uh but I did know that like it ramped up huge it bigly in the past several <laughs> months. Uh to almost I mean you, you have 1.6 mil here. I think it's past that now. I think it's like closer 1. to 1.8. I right. just yeah. checked 1.7 7 million. 7. Yeah. 1.7 million. Um and uh you know it 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 just caught my eye because you know there's been a lot of talk about um you know there's been a lot of like labor strikes, which is not like common. Like we don't in America, like we don't typically see a lot of like organized labor strikes, but you see them mm-hmm. happening at uh, was Kellogg's, Kellogg's and there was another one yeah. happening at. I know there's a few food companies where it was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Amazon there there've been Amazon strikes. Uh, was it John Deere? There was John a strike Deere, the but
2: yeah, it was Kellogg's and John Deere was Striketober, right? Those are the big ones. I see. The Amazon yeah. ones were more sporadic, but they were definitely happening, right? And there's all, there's, there's also been other ha- things happening like Starbucks unionizing and. And so on, right? Like, there's been a lot of activity in that space, so it's very relevant to this uh, group.
1: It's an unprecedented number in my mind. I mean, I don't, I'm not like someone who really follows like labor politics, to be honest. But sure. uh, I mean, I, I know enough to know that it's not common for there to be strikes uh, and 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 unionization efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've noticed uh, since COVID that there's been, you know, a sort of re set of american attitudes about this worker attitudes about jobs and and that and i also noticed that our anti-work had been mentioned in a lot of places then that it was surging in membership uh in ways that were kind of reminiscent of like wall street bets which was growing you know exponentially and it started to started to wonder like is there a connection you know between these this this rise in labor uh you know discontent and organizing and strikes and things like this uh with the growth of our anti-work specifically and i went on there and i was surprised to see that it wasn't just your typical bullshit lazy redditor you know uh you know i hate the man you know i hate you know fuck all this shit but it was like really well thought out um and often like like some of the worst shit are like text messages that workers have with their bosses, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and the thing that they love to show is like their bosses start yelling at them and, and, and talking to them in a very horrible paternalistic way uh, saying that, oh, you know, I don't like your attitude. You think, I think you need to come in and, you know, we need to, there needs to be an adjustment to your behavior and all this, you know, that kind of stuff. And the second the guy says... Or the girl says, "Hey, fuck it, I'm not coming in." Then it's something like, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 we, you know, we, we don't have to go that far, you know." And I think that's their favorite thing is to say, like, "Look, if you actually just tell them, you know, take this job and shove it, um, they will change their at, they, they will change the tune of their song." And so I started thinking, like, maybe our anti-work is like, you know, not just a joke site. Maybe this is um, the site of, uh, you know, a real. Um, change uh in 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 worker not just worker attitude but worker power you know and Mm. so yeah that that's what caught my interest
0: there's one text change i saw team you might be thinking of the same one apparently like a worker had been caught so-called caught like sitting down too much or something and some some boss was chiding him for that and the guy was like look i was still the number one performer And I had to sit down because I had this, um, I don't know, I think he like dislocated his ankle or or something like that. And and the boss was like, well, you should have told me that before. And, 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 you know, he wouldn't say sorry. And the guy was like, what does it matter if I'm sitting or not as long as I not only did the work, I was your number one guy. And then and he's like, fuck you, I quit. And then the guy was like, whoa, whoa, let's not be hasty. Right, you know, let's right, talk it out. Right. Yes, and the guy was of. like, no, fuck <laughs> you, have a nice life. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, is the, the one funny. I was thinking of. Yeah. And,
2: and I think that if you look, so I'm looking at anti-work right now and I'm sorting by top posts of all time. And the very top post is one of those text exchanges, right? These like text messages with their bosses. And if you scroll down from there, like a, a large number of these top posts of like hundreds of thousands of upvotes um, definitely made the front page of Reddit, right? are all these text exchanges. And they're exactly what you're describing, team. They're like the a reversal of power, right? Where basically, you know, the boss takes an L, the, the worker owns the boss, you know, in this exchange. And I think a lot of people can just relate to it. Um, and I think that when I, I first caught on to anti-work was because these text exchanges started showing up on Twitter. Um, and were are also very high, highly upvoted on Twitter and so on. I, I suspect they're on Instagram as well. I don't know about TikTok, but like, you know, it's just like, they're, they're very catchy. They're easy to read. And I think that's what propelled the growth of the subreddit. Um, and I'll also point out, I think that like between when the Fox, um, you know, very embarrassing Fox interview happened. And when we just check the numbers right now, I think it grew up to 50 to 100K because they were at 1.6 when the Fox thing happened, right? So it's almost at the point where there's like, you know, any, any publicity is good publicity for this group because people catch on to it. They check it out. They see these crazy exchanges. They're like, oh, I've had a fucking shitty boss like that before. And it really resonates with people. Um so they've done quite well in the last while.
0: Yeah I want to mention this one post that I thought was very funny because it's all it's titled my company's late and sick policies are biting them and now they're crying about it. So it's all about how these incredibly uh harsh uh like penalties placed on workers who are late or have to take sick days uh end up totally disincentivizing or Totally incentivizing workers to to actually be even more late and take even more days off. Like for instance, they uh, they used it used to be that if you're late, um, you know, it, like blocks of shifts are done in like 15 minutes. So if you were uh, at a late at a certain time, you would lose that those 15 minutes of pay. Uh, then they realized, oh wait, wait, maybe we can punish them even further. They get the whole hour. They lose the whole hour of pay, even if they're like five minutes late. But now the thing is if you're gonna be five minutes late, you might as well just not work at all for the whole <laughs> hour. <laughs> so uh, anybody who gets like caught in traffic, even, you know, totally not their fault. They're just they're just gonna lollygag, you know, get get like have a couple of cigarettes and or just chit-chat with their friends. Cause like why would I uh go work for free when I'm no it's like when, when the punishment is so harsh, you just you make sure your infraction is lives up to that punishment. <laughs> right. And then this other thing, which I don't quite understand. So I'm I'm gonna read this. So, like, On top of a two-day no sick payroll, they now have a no excuses disciplinary policy. Two days off and you got a disciplinary. Standard chain of disciplinaries that leads uh, up to you getting sacked. Long story short, um, it's like if you're going to take two days off, you might as well take like two weeks off. Because whether you take three days off or two weeks off, you're going to get the same uh, no excuses disciplinary record. So people just started uh, going like, hmm, you know, if I I take those two sick days, you know, Thanksgiving is only two weeks away. I might as well just take all that time off in between because I'm going to get the same kind of uh, penalty anyway. So I thought that was very funny.
2: I I think that's kind of at the heart of why anti-work has blown up is because there's this general understanding now, I think, like unspoken understanding that workers have more power. Like there's this, you know, quote unquote, like great resignation, worker shortage you know, up to a point where you know that if you get fired, you can get another job, especially in certain, you know, certain, um, uh, like, areas of work, like uh, service work, right, working hospitality, and so on. There's such a big shortage that you know that your boss fucks with you, you can get fired or quit, right, and then snap up another job with equal or maybe even better pay if you're if, you're, if you negotiate well, somewhere else. And I, I think that that's actually a huge part of why it's blowing up now is because they have that kind of slack to, to be a bit more brazen right, workers um, uh, with their bosses.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, might might be a good time, just as we're talking about our anti-work now, and, and I know we want to talk about, you know, maybe some of the political ramifications of it and stuff, but mm-hmm. might be a good time to draw, uh, to, to, to mention the the sort of ch- uh, the Chinese equivalent mm-hmm. of our anti-work. I don't know if that's something that anyone has actually embraced, but from my perspective, having heard about both, they seem to be coming from a very similar uh similar place and there's this there's this um sort of online not movement I don't know even know if it's a movement because uh, it's heavily censored in China but um this meme I guess of tangping which means laying flat
3: mm-hmm.
1: literally means laying flat and it's this sort of notion that um you know capitalism is like sort of like a lawnmower and it waits for the grass to to grow to a certain length, and, it, and then it mows it, it, takes the profit. And Tang Ping is the idea that if you lay flat, if you lay flat, then the shears of capitalism cannot cut you down, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is the slogan of the T-shirt that you yeah, th- designed.
2: <laughs> I thought it was a, yeah, the sickle. The sickles of capitalism cannot cut me down. I think it was the. Uh, the slogan, right? Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's not because I'm too strong; it's because I'm laying laying, laying flat, flat. You flat can't out. get me. Yeah. Okay,
2: I did not know that. Actually, this is, <laughs> and I, we just we just saw it. it's, it's worth mentioning now that we just put out a uh, Tang Ping uh, T-shirt um, on our new PlanetMag.com/shop online store, so folks can check that out. Um, it was a T-shirt that had that slogan. Plus, it says uh, Tang Ping Youth, so live flat youth. Yeah. And then representative underneath. Yeah. Um, and I believe this T-shirt was, you know, one of many T-shirts that were and, and kind of memes were coming out online in China. Um, I don't think it was taken down. Like, it wasn't explicitly censored, but I think the the creators of it like preemptively took it down on, on Alibaba or Alibaba mm-hmm. took it down. I don't know if there was, there was an order behind that. Yeah. Um, and so we, we recreated it um, ourselves on our website so you can buy a copy stateside. If you want to give support the movement,
1: yeah, the, and the <laughs> thanks for putting that together. And the origin of it, um, you know, was was like a single social media post by some guy um, who had talked. I think it was. I, I had not seen the post myself. I heard it's hard to find, but there are screenshots of it circulating around. But it was basically expressing. My girlfriend had read it, and she kind of like distilled it for me. That you know, it it had more to do. It wasn't so much like let's organize and strike and stuff, but it was more mm-hmm. like let's just put in the minimal amount of effort. Because, you know, in China, there's, like, this whole, like, Chinese dream, you know, American dream equivalent of striverism, of careerism, of, you know, working hard now in hopes of, like, you know, a big payoff later. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's got to put in maximal effort. And there's a – the idea of it is sort of a national project. Uh, And Tang Ping is is sort of like this, you know, total – reaction to that saying like no fuck this i don't care about this chinese dream i don't care about these uh you know collective goals to reach the future this is i can't it's like i I could show up to work i can work my ass off but i still can't afford a fucking house uh you know it's just too much stress it's too much work and it's just not worth it and so all i want to do is the bare minimum to just get by to feed myself um, you know to live as simply as possible and to just let all this just sort of slide off my back i don't really care about any of this stuff
2: do, do you guys have in the states you guys have a thing called work to rule
1: yes yeah, yeah.
2: okay so it's not mm-hmm. just a canadian term right
1: so like no uh, like I, my teach in fact when i was in high school my uh, our teacher union yeah. in, implemented a work to rule strike it's like yeah. it's not a strike but it's a work to rule Strike, yeah, right.
2: Meaning they they do exactly, you know, they work exactly the hours they're supposed to work. They don't do mm-hmm. any extra Nothing shit. More. They don't bring extra shit for the students, which a lot of uh, teachers have to do, right, because of yes. how underfunded. They and, don't
1: write record uh, letters of recommendation or yeah, any of that stuff. yeah. They yeah. cut
2: out all the extra stuff to to make people you know basically suffer, right, and to understand that they should be appreciating the extra effort that teachers are putting in uh, beyond their paid hours. Um, and so, I mean, that's a good example as to as to a direct relationship between. Tangpeng movement and not anti-work necessarily, but like American kind of labor action, right? In the same way.
0: Has there been uh, a complete uh, reverse reaction? Like like the same American types who would look at anti-work sentiment here in the US as like a scourge, a virus that will sap the vitality of the American spirit and economy while they see the thing uh, in China, I'd be like, well, you know what? Those those guys, they they deserve it. Um, you know that, uh, like CCP. You know they're they're monsters. They they should lie flat and all that. Uh, ha- is that happening? Because I could see that happening. Where it's like they love it if that stuff happens in other countries, but don't like it when it happens here.
1: I've been surprised at how that hasn't happened. Because I'm with you. I would have agreed. Mm-hmm. I would have assumed that that would happen. But I, I've been surprised. Not exactly in this context, but I've been surprised, like on Reddit, where. There more there are more sort of like you know anti capitalist type uh, forums like our collapse as an example. Oh man, Um, our collapse. I remember someone had posted a story in Nikkei, the Japanese uh, news uh, news service, about how China has been you know hoarding grains (laughs) and causing you know global prices of grains to skyrocket. And the response on our collapse, which is not a pro China sub at all was like this is such, you know. The top comments were all like, "Oh, ignore this, you know, capitalist uh, propaganda. It's not China. It's the fucking, you know, ABCD firms that you know have been, uh, you know, uh, you know, hoarding, you know, ha- or have been like destroying like you know national of uh, you know food reserves and and all this. I didn't quite understand the politics behind it, but or the mechanisms behind it, but. What I'm saying is that I think in a lot of these anti-capitalist uh, forums, where you know their real enemy the, and the real you know their their anger, I think they're better able to understand the source of their frustration and anger. They're much less uh, susceptible to xenoph like blame, you know scapegoating mm-hmm. China or some other xenophobic uh, type reaction. And to immediately dismiss those things as propaganda to say, you're just trying to knock me off um, my, you know, distract me from who my real enemy is, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's really answering a question, but that's that's what I've seen.
2: Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, like that Fox interview we were talking about, if that had gone the other way, like if they had, if the anti-work mod had not embarrassed themselves and embarrassed the movement, they could eventually see this as a threat and maybe react a bit differently to this, like a couple months down the road when they've grown to like over 2 million or 2 million plus, um, you know, subscribers. Um, but I think the way the, the, the Fox interview went, right, which we can talk a little bit about, um, deflected that concern to some extent, right, because they, they kind of came off as being kind of pathetic and, and uh, not exactly an organized movement. Um, though I think a lot of the members there do believe that they're an organized movement.
0: Yeah, what do you guys think of the interview? Do you think that it'll have a lasting impact? Do you think it was more of just drama for the day? Um, Do you think, I've heard conspiracy theories about how it was either they targeted kind of the weak link mod, because apparently all the mods had agreed not to do an interview. I mean, first of all, you know, you gotta be prepared for that kind of thing, even if it was a neutral interviewer, but obviously Fox News is not gonna be a, a neutral interviewer so they all said no except for this one person Doreen something uh and then um other theories were like actually she uh is in cahoots with with the anti-anti-work people I don't know there's like all sorts of theories going around anti-work shut down for a day I think I think there's a new suburb called work reform which I think is kind of an unfortunate name Mm because it reminds me of welfare reform and reform is never a very it's it's like one of those it's weasel words. Yeah, it's, it's not only not punchy. It's always like one of those weasel words where it's like often the side using it is is the side that actually like hates the idea yep. in the first place and such. So, what are your guys' thoughts on the interview?
2: I mean, people should just watch it for themselves to see what it's about, right? I I think it's I think it's drama of the day. I think it did blow up in their faces and so on. You know, I think it was poorly handled and all that stuff. But I don't think it's going to stop. It's, like I don't think it's going to collapse. The anti-work movement in the way that people were concerned about it doing so in the heat of the moment um and and i think what's interesting is like seeing the reactions to like the poor performance of this mod on the um on on the interview um in particular like when people were kind of rounding up all the like responses one thing that stood up to me was that they could have attacked this mod on a whole bunch of like fronts like you know they looked disheveled i mean they mentioned that right but they could have at- like brigaded them and attacked them on, on that front. And also, especially on the, on the fact that the mod was trans, right? It's just easy pickings for internet trolls to go after that. But instead, people who were responding were saying like, I'm not even going after you because you're trans. I'm, I'm going after you because, you know, you're like, you fucked up our movement. Like a whole bunch of us come on here daily because we're trying to take this thing seriously. And you screwed that up, right? And I thought that the fact that they can get over the, the usual bullshit on the internet and actually make that statement... Proves that there's actually a lot of people who have who are very invested in this movement, uh, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, the most common attacks I saw was I saw the whole like disheveled thing frequently come up, just like you don't look presentable. Yeah, there was the uh, lack of eye contact. There was the the dog walker thing, which played too much into stereotypes. And I, I think the one thing that people really just thought was just like it, it was just kind of like a slam, like self dunk was the the teaching philosophy thing that's such a reddit stereotype like the yeah. philosophy bro kind of image um so i, I, also yeah, think I said the, nothing about the trans uh, thing
2: i think on the flip side too i think people who want to like believe in anti-work will right because they're going to watch this thing see that it's fox know that fox is not supposed to bullshit like this see that um jesse waters who is the interviewer is like a smarmy smug piece of shit right and and they'll read it kind of correctly in that you know fox maybe baited this mod to do a bad job on this Uh, interviewer or whatever, right? So I don't don't think it's going to deter the the movement,
1: basically.
0: Yeah. Plus, Ahmad is not a leader. Ahmad is just uh, like a tech administrator.
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. I I certainly don't think that that interview spells the end of our anti-work. I did think it was interesting. I mean, for me, like, when I first saw anti-work and I started seeing, like, the sort of growth pattern of it that sort of mirrored. Wall Street Bets and in a way it's very similar to Wall Street Bets but more serious. But it has like a similar dynamic in the sense that these this is a community to say look we want we actually do want you to quit your job. If you, you know, we want you to stick it because if we all quit, if we all quit, that's when we're going to exert you know, um maximal pain and pressure on our employers. If it's just one of us, it's just a couple of us, you know they're always going to win. We've got to do this communally, and that's exactly what Wall Street Bet was. Was we all have to buy and hold, do not sell. You know they're going to try and crater the price, but don't sell, right? Um, so it is a it is a very like supportive community in that sense, right? And I think that the response to that, um, well, even even the fact that Fox News went after our anti work and they had Jesse Waters, who's their sort of attack dog. Um, lure one of their mods on to humiliate him, to me proves that our anti-work is showing up on the radar. And that was my first sort of like feeling was like, this place is big enough. I mean, 1.7 million people. If even like a significant fraction of that, let's say 50% of those people um, really decided, um, uh, started changing their behavior and attitude about work, you know, that, that's going to be a major contributor to the labor shortage that we have in America, which is like one of the major, major problems confronting the Biden administration is the labor shortage, which they conveniently call supply chain problems. But oh, we all know that mean. this is about labor, right? Because COVID doesn't attack roads and bridges and shit. It attacks people. And so all of the supply chain disruption is all about people. It's all about labor. And they call it supply chain in order to sort of de-emphasize the role that workers play in it. But I think that the worker is everything when it comes to uh, this recent bout of inflation and, you know, shortages of food and everything. And we're starting to confront the fact that workers, you know, still retain a huge amount of influence and power if they work together. And so I thought orient work. I mean, this is exactly the kind of thing that they're going to come after. And in, in China, it was no surprise that they immediately suppress. They, I mean, they immediately suppressed anything that mentions Tang Ping. And in, in the U.S., you know, immediately I see Fox News come and attack this thing. And I, I and I think it's not going to stop there. And I think that to see anti worko private and then to see this good faith and very heated very serious discussion of like yo we have to sort out this mod issue yeah. we've got to make sure that you know the real um the, the the real nature of this project is accurately represented and respected i'm like these are people that are taking this seriously and to me that has that is striking fear um in a lot of among the ruling class i think they are terrified of this specific thing is has always been the thing that really scares them so i i am very pleased to see the (laughs) the this exponential growth in our anti-work i hope it continues
0: when you said that you know COVID doesn't act it doesn't act upon infrastructure (laughs) i was imagining something like the creep from Starcraft, like the purple ooze just taking over bridges and highways, and <laughs> yeah. like yeah, that would that would certainly destroy infrastructure, but not not this virus. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we. Uh, do you guys want to talk about bullshit jobs, the book, uh, mm. or and or we could also talk about. I mean, it's one thing to just force workers to work, but I, I, one thing that employers have had to rely on is, is create this uh, self motivation, self regulating engine of workers, you know, feeling like failures if they're not moving up the ladder in whatever field they're in. So
1: uh
0: I think those are both good topics of discussion. I think
1: Bullshit Jobs was one of these books. I know you guys have re- you guys talked about this on a previous pod episode, right?
0: Uh yeah, for unverified accounts. But for we should definitely accounts. talk about it again.
1: Yeah, and it's just one of these books that like when you read it, and I really suggest people read it, I get the feeling a lot of people are going to relate to it. And it is a very like revelational book, not because it clues you in onto something that you never noticed before, but because it totally verifies things that you, that I thought were very private individual thoughts that pretty much only I had. I mean, I honestly felt that way. And then when I was reading this book, as well as a lot of the other articles that Graeber had put out, uh, you know, um, because bullshit jobs, the origin of it was, I think an article that he wrote in like the guardian or something like that.
2: An essay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, sort of sketching out some of the initial ideas that led to the book. And then he got a huge response. And it was one of these things where I think lately, especially with, um, you know, some of the, some of, some of the changes to like some of the, some of the ways people have talked about work from home and how people are like, oh, the reason they don't want to let, allow us to continue working from home is because there's all these managers whose job is just to watch us, you know, all day. And they don't really do anything. They just want to, like, lord over us and mm-hmm. all this. There's been a whole, like, during COVID, and I wish Graber was around to sort of, like, comment on this. I think that some of the revelations in bullshit jobs um, have really been sort of validated by uh, the pandemic response. Mm-hmm. and the way that work has changed and this sort of revelation that I think a lot of white collar workers especially are doing nothing they' they're serving no real you know economic or social purpose um you know other than to be a part of some you know internecine political fight within some company
0: yeah I wish I took notes uh when where i read the book I, th- I think i took notes but then deleted it after i i did the podcast but the main thing i remember from the book is that its, it's central premise is that most jobs are bullshit just as you suspected and the reason they exist is essentially to keep the population busy to prop up the egos of bosses graber describes a lot of companies as little fiefdoms for the bosses and the, and they're you know executive vice presidents, uh, for them to have their little retinue of assistants and assistants to the assistants. And which is why people being at the office is so important because you can't really control people unless they're they're there. And that was the main thing. And then there was another great part about how, there was this great insight he had about why uh, the police are so revered, especially among the kind of the white working class. And he said, that it's one of the few non-bullshit jobs available to people with relatively low education who don't, you know, don't live in big cities necessarily. And that's why it's, there's such a like, police culture in a way that, you know, there's no like fireman culture. There's no um whatever, not even an army culture, really, that's comparable to, to police culture. And it's because non-bullshit jobs are this coveted prize that's becoming hoarded more and more by the elite they think it's only for them and everybody else has to work bullshit or difficult jobs and only they get to do the kind of fun express self-expressive uh jobs out there that are dwindling down which is why the cancel culture is so rampant in all the culture class industries
2: yeah i i thought about the relationship between bullshit jobs and, and the anti-work movement i think they're actually they're like adjacent but they're not really related right like i think i you know i agree with you teen that covid and work from home and like all the stuff around changing white collar work has kind of uh validated Graeber's writing in bullshit jobs but i think most of the people who are in anti-work like don't really they don't necessarily think their jobs are bullshit they're just like you know, they just want to do their jobs and get treated fairly, right? Like there's even posts in, in anti-work that get voted upvoted up pretty well um, that are about like good bosses, right? Like to some extent, they just want a, a better shake at work than they rather than the idea of just like this, you know, completely, um, you know, disassembling the notion of work because they think their, their jobs are, are worthless. A lot of them work in places like hospitality, right? And in service jobs where like they kind of need to be there on the front lines to have like things function and to get people what they need. Um, so that's pretty different, I think, from being like a lawyer or a middle manager or like, uh, you know, like, you know, some like random techie who, who does stuff that doesn't actually affect anything, you know. So, I, yeah, I, again, I think they're adjacent, but I don't think they're exactly related. The two,
1: No, they're, I mean, no, but they are related to the book because the book talks about non-bullshit jobs, too, where the idea being that for some reason, bullshit jobs are remunerated higher than non-bullshit jobs.
0: Well, because they're bullshit jobs, you need people to to work them be motivated to spend up to i don't know like six seven eight years in school to work them right
1: yeah well and it's also like because i think that the idea was that uh you know a lot of us don't believe that bullshit jobs exist because it could there it's impossible like why would you know a, a company in a competitive capitalist economy uh hire people unnecessarily like wouldn't that collapse the firm, like any competitor (laughs) that doesn't hire bullshit workers and fill bullshit jobs would just be a more competitive uh, firm and offer a product or service at a better price, right? And his response to that I thought was interesting, which is to say, yeah, that's not really like what companies are these days, especially ones that hire bullshit workers. A lot of them are oligopolies or monopolies that don't actually face any significant competition and are therefore um you know like guaranteed to make a certain amount of profit and so what happens is you get all these sort of like vultures that come um to claim a piece of that and that becomes the site of a lot of these tumorous growths of the, the bureaucracy uh which you know they become like barnacles within the system just sort of sucking out uh profits yeah he and, he
0: mentions lawyers as a prime example the only reason yeah. why you have, if you're a company, you have a general counsel or you, you have a big law firm on retainers because the other guy's do and if you don't have it, you're vulnerable to lawsuits. Uh, that's like one type where you're, everyone, it's like kind of like a Mexican standoff where everyone has to have their bullshit cadre. But then there's also the type where you hire people just for your own ego. Uh, this is where like assistants come in and just, just, you know, just having underlings uh, mm. becomes a perk of being up on the corporate ladder or whatever ladder you're, you're uh, operating yeah. on. Yeah, but yeah. just
1: operates within like say a bank where like you know so a lot of these large banks are basically uh it's an oligopoly. Like you don't have a lot of startup banks that are challenging, you know, JP Morgan Chase. <laughs> like JP Morgan Chase is like entrenched, you know, and, and so and and you know, even like if you if you listen to like what like a Warren Buffett says, you know, and how he invests, he's like, I'm looking for companies that are basically like free from competition. They have a moat, he calls it. Um, you know, you're looking for companies that um, are, are basically not challengeable, right? They've got something that has like sort of like a built-in guarantee that they um, are 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 going to dominate this market, and so they're fiefs. They they are they are essentially sovereigns that are free from competition, and that invites a, a new sort of like uh, a fiefdom, like almost like a like um, uh, like sort of non-capitalist dynamic, like a feudal dynamic where you know it's like all these like little lords that are and i think he made this direct co- this direct connection to you know like uh, uh uh a feudalism where you have an excess number of titles being granted you know like you all these like various types of noblemen and stuff uh right. and then you SVP's see the same thing in corporations like, where there's vice presidents and executive yeah. directors and of this and that and there's just so many damn vice presidents in the company that um, it is like a little bit of like a feudal, anyway, all of, all of this being, you know, I think um, relevant in the sense that, you know, he was saying that for uh, bullshit jobs, like in our economy are the ones where there's a, there's a grift going on and there's a lot of like, essentially a sort of like parasitic theft and they tend to be remunerated the highest. And for other jobs, I think where, they 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 are essential. We need these jobs. That there's also the reverse going on where they get paid the least. And we saw that with like nurses, you know, during COVID, like they're the most crucial frontline workers to help us deal with this and we treat them so bad that I think one in 5 of them ended up quitting. Um and how many of them died? You know, and did any of them get a pay raise? <laughs> you know, um or truckers. Look at truckers, like we don't have anyone to drive the trucks. Um and they, you know, it's just a, a thing where Uh, You have an economy where if you actually do something useful that people need to do, you don't get paid very much money. And if you do something that is like, you know, uh, just another fucking vice president of this or that, and you don't have any inherent talent or use, but you are good at, you know, navigating uh, bureaucracies, you're going to get paid a lot of money.
2: I think the movement online that has a stronger connection to bullshit jobs than anti-work is the the fire movement right the financial independence retire early movement because a lot of them admit to being people who are like you know not not specifically middle managers but like in software or lawyers like in high earning jobs or just jobs where they can like kind of coast make money and then eventually get out of it it's adjacent to anti-work because they they want to eventually just not you know not be subject to a shitty boss right not be subject to work but it's not quite the same thing. I feel like a lot of people in anti-work are more likely to be either blue collar or service workers or you know even these hospital workers and whatnot who felt the brunt of covid and all the changes that came from covid um you know not someone who like got away with a cushy remote jo- you know remote work job right. And, like I think people who who went off to do remote work don't really suffer from the same issues that would push them towards the anti-work movement than someone who has to like keep working at a fucking fast food, you know, Restaurant, despite the fact that there's COVID everywhere.
0: Yeah, generally from the posts I've seen on NT where they bring up issues like having to stand up for extended periods of time. Yeah, you know, bullshit job worker. You have the opposite problem. You're like sitting down too much of the time. So right. I definitely do think there's a different in the in the class of uh, workers here. Um, I was gonna say something. okay, uh, so team uh, going to I think I like, I, w- I wish I said, I wish I took notes on the bullshit job thing because one of the things that Graeber talks about is that. The, the lower paying but more essential jobs have a certain wage uh, like it pays in a certain kind of like fulfillment I think is one of his arguments but like nobody is choosing to be like to like be a street sweeper over an accountant because they see the fruits of their labor in the clean streets of their neighborhood versus you know crunching numbers all day in some windowless office so like, why is it that the more important jobs actually get paid less and the bullshit jobs get paid more. Because as I said, bullshit jobs, they got to pay a little extra to make people want to work them or else people would be like, why the hell would I want to you know, be on Excel like for 12 hours a day? But still it's like, if you pay, like a lot of people would love to sit in an office in a comfy air chair uh, for hours in an air conditioned office as opposed to being out in the elements doing manual labor.
1: I, I think he touches, I don't know if he says this explicitly, but I think it's the same reason why cancer cells, uh, you know, <laughs> experience like hypergrowth, and the rest of the cells in the body are subject to like, you know, cell death, right? Like, um, in order to function properly, it seems like there is um, this really s- clear distinction between you know, the employer and the employee, there's a distinction between, um, you know, cutting co- costs and overhead and employee remuneration and stuff. And so they're subject to like market discipline, which I think is why a lot of them um are underpaid relative to these bullshit jobs where they tend to, eff- you know, there tends to be an efflorescence of bullshit jobs in industries like banking, where there is this sort of like, monopoly type or oligopoly type dynamic where the, the you know, major banks or like the major, you know, entertainment studios or the major, uh, you know, whatever it is, like technology companies have such a strong grip, you know, on a source of profit that they essentially become cancerous and that there is like an explosion of, um, or universities, I think that was another example. Where there's the, the growth in, you know, the number of professors is like anemic, but the growth in administrators is like exponential. And it it does seem to be this sort of cancerous response to there being this constant flow of money into the academic system through things like, you know, federal loans and through through things like grants and stuff. Uh it's not, not grants, through the endowment system. Uh, or banks do their monopoly on the financial system that it incentivizes this sort of parasitic uh, – this parasitic bureaucracy.
2: So because you have, you have too much money. You don't know what to do with it. You got to spend it somehow. Is that the idea? It's, well,
1: it's just that you're, you're just – it's at a point and it's not that you got to spend it. It's that – remember like corporations are not monolithic. There's many competing factions within the corporation and The emplo- and the executives and employees of it are – you know, different than say the shareholders of it are different than the customers are different than the let, you know, the creditors and stuff. Right. And I think this is a case where, uh, the people who are in control of it, the executives and stuff understand that, you know, they can basically like manufacture profits. Right. The way that I think he pointed out that like banks, like more than half their profit was coming from just like fees and, and like, uh, um penalties like for people that like overdraw the account like half their fucking profits are coming from stuff like that and so it's a what i'm saying is that it's only in areas where the firms are so powerful that they get to abuse uh they they they, they get to like uh become parasites off of their own revenue that you start to see these bullshit jobs where people are essentially overpaying themselves
2: but on the flip side like let's talk about you know more blue collar work or service work, right? For example, you know, fast food restaurants, right? Like restaurants famously have very uh, slim margins. Is that the other side where people, you know, the the actual line workers who are actually doing like, you know, flipping the burgers, working at the cashiers and so on, they get abused more because there isn't as much wiggle room in the profit margins?
1: I think that's right. Especially like at a franchise level, because that's like a real business. Yeah. Whereas at McDonald's Corporation,
2: oh yeah, then they have tons of you know of that's workers. that's a very yeah.
1: different thing, right? Yeah. So, um, because they're guaranteed, uh, you know, a certain amount of revenue from their franchisors, yeah. whether or, or whether or not they make money. And so, I think you're going to see more bullshit jobs at McDonald's headquarters than you are, you know, at any particular McDonald's restaurant.
2: Yeah, and I've actually thought about this idea before too, team. But like from a, with a slightly different form of terminology, like I've always thought about it as from the perspective of like the profit margins the profitability of a company from its business model, like in tech where I work, right? Like tech is famously, has famously blown up like the NASDAQ, except for maybe the last week has blown up because all these companies famously have massive margins, right? Like software margins are like, you know, 50 to 80%, right? Versus a restaurant, which is like 5%, right? And that comes from the fact that the nature of the nature, the very nature of that kind of corporation is that they make software, which is just like bits that you can reproduce and print and duplicate right, Um, for free, effectively, right, and make a ton of money off each uh, sale of that free thing and therefore have huge margins. And that affords you a lot of shit, right? Like I've always said that like a company like Google doesn't have there's no secret to their, their, their magic, right? Like people kind of revere the company as being this company that hires the very smartest people, pays the best, has all these crazy perks, free food, massages, all that shit, you know, from the 2000s, which is a little bit more demystified today. But all that's not magic. It comes from the fact that they have a crazy business model that makes uh, like 89% margins, right? And that fuels all that, all those kind of perks and all those, you know, all the extra employees that may be working bullshit jobs in the company. Um, so there isn't any magic. It really comes down to just like, what is your profit margin? And that allows certain things to happen at your company that wouldn't at others that right. have tighter yeah. tighter
1: margins. Yeah, I think so. I mean, those profit margins suggest that they're really not subject to competition. So Right. I mean, they have a monopoly on search
2: list. in the case of Google, right? So there yeah, you go.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. I think Graeber also talks about the fact that the the titans of the bullshit jobs industries are very much ideologically aligned with the political class of both parties in which they see work as more than just something people do to earn a living it's a way to control the population to condition them to behave in you know predictable often like consumption oriented ways and you know creating this class of desirable but ultimately do nothing jobs is a way to incentivize. Like, Why else uh, would you have some of the best and brightest in the country put themselves through a lot of academic rigor so they can become a consultant unless you pay them well? Because nobody would inherently want to do that. So let's talk about that aspect. Uh, The way that people are made to feel as if work is something that measures their character, because that's a very useful way to... Get people often to act against their own interests to you know kill themselves whether you're getting paid a lot or little and then when you get unemployed or you know you know being a so called uh, like a freeloader type that somehow makes you just like a bad person that thing. Because so one of the questions in the Fox News uh, interview was this thing about laziness and one of the things that the Doreen person got attacked for was when she said, "Is, is she right? The, yeah, Doreen." So she said you know, laziness is a virtue and then people attacked her for it. But it's like, yeah, if you say that, if you just read that on his face, it sounds bad, but it's like, well, what do we mean by laziness? Exactly. I think that's the important question. And I think she just said it very inarticulately, but I think what she was getting at is that not wetting yourself to the idea of being your boss's bitch is a virtue.
3: Yeah.
2: I feel like if she said it that way, it would have come up a lot better in <laughs> Jesse Waters' face.
1: Definitely. It is. It's it is. It's a huge trap. I think careerism is a huge trap. And I, I have heard that um, it's a relatively new phenomenon. Um, Wait, what is? Careerism. This idea that we should be like personally identified with work. Yeah, and, work
2: is your purpose, that kind of thing, right?
1: Yeah. And that the, the idea, you know, like that when – that the, the sort of antagonistic relationship with one's employer, it's like, look – I'm not super happy about me showing up like every day to work for your ass, but I need money. So I'm going to do it. But Mm -hmm. this is, this is not like my ideal thing. Like that has, that was the beginning of wage work, (laughs) right? Like ever since wage work began during like, let's say the industrial revolution, there has never been an easy relationship, a a, a friendly, you know, non-antagonistic relationship between employers, and employees. I don't think it was until recently where, There was this idea that the – maybe I'm wrong, but this idea that the employee was like entering into a new family. Like when you left the university and went into work, there was this almost feeling like this is going to be the similar kind of thing. You're almost graduating from university to like the super university, which is the company. Mm -hmm. And that your relationship with your employer was not going to be all that different than the relationship you had, say, with your professors in college. And it's a very hard lesson to learn that that just simply isn't the case. This is a completely different situation. And I think that we have lost that sense. I think a lot of younger – a lot of – because the universities themselves have become – especially the elite ones have become such prep schools for corporate life, for corporate Mm -hmm. work. I mean they're basically like molding product for these consulting companies or – Studios or whatever the hell is who are hiring these elite students. These banks that um, the children that eventually become the junior workers at these places have never stopped to question whether they should have such a high esteem for who they're working for, and that they should think of themselves as part of the part of the inner circle of that company. Um from day one and basically take the side of their own employers. Yeah. You know? so it's, that's com- what
2: it- it's completely taboo to talk about work as a transactional thing, right? Like I was watching this YouTube video that was like responding or reacting to that uh, Fox interview. And the guy was being, the guy who was you know, on it was being very pragmatic. He was like, you know, it's really inappropriate for you to say, if someone asks you like, why do you do your job to say like, I, you know, I move boxes around the warehouse. So I so that you can give me money. Like you, my employer can give me money so I can live. Even though that's literally what's happening, right? Like there's no purpose or, you know, any kind of like inner you know, desire to move these boxes around a warehouse. All I'm doing is trying to earn a living, but it's completely taboo to talk about things in a completely pragmatic and realistic manner like that, right? You had to talk about like what, what thing happened in your life before that brought you here? Like, why is this related to your purpose? Like, you know,
0: like, well, well, I think that's more, I think that's perfectly okay. If you're more lower class, I think if you're upper class it's definitely taboo. Cause that's yeah. poor people talk poor people have jobs. It's that old Chris Rock joke. Poor people have jobs and rich people have careers, which is why hmm, I think this yeah. was more for mm-hmm. uh, for millennials that do what you love mentality. That's why it was so important that your company uh, had the right values. That's why in like you, uh, season one, there's a parody of, of that douchebag with the um, the juice company, right? He has like, <laughs> our juices is, is for world peace or, or some bullshit. And that's like a, that's a parody of that whole uh, mentality like, you're just making juice who cares what your bosses think you, you your
1: values yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly
0: mm-hmm. and there, there's this thing I found on YouTube it's probably a TikTok thing as well I think it's mostly a Gen Z phenomenon it's like this thing where people are talking about like I don't dream of labor where they're like yeah like my dream is not to have the perfect job because a job is a job I might I'm not defined by my work which I thought was a very good mentality to have certainly more far, farther along than like my generation of, of millennials where we were so obsessed with uh, being fulfilled by our job. At least if you were of a certain class, you went to like a good school and you thought that special, super duper special job was out there and you just had to you just had to find it or else you were a failure.
1: You know, I think bottom line now is that, um, you know, I was thinking about like this remote work thing and it's like uh, the idea of like, Living in New York City or Toronto or whatever, in a way, is such a trap because, like, why are we here, right? Like, the reason I have to live in New York City is because my job is in New York City. And the reason I come to New York City is because the jobs pay more than they do elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But the rents here are fucking ridiculous. So, why do I live in a high rent place is so that I can go to a job. And why do I go to the job? It's so that I can afford to be near the job. So there's like literally, you're just burning the candle from both ends. Like there, there's there's literally like hours and hours of every week, of every day, that you're spending just to be able to be close to live close enough to your job to show up tomorrow to do. It's like to clubs, it's like the fight.
2: I mean, go back to Fight Clubs, the Fight Club uh-huh. dilemma, right? Of working your job so you could uh, buy your IKEA furniture, so you can live in
1: the place where you. Is working so
0: jobs we hate to buy shit we don't need. Yeah, that's exactly. Like,
1: but this difficult. is even worse. Yeah. This is working job working in jobs so that we can afford to work this job. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so I, you know, and I think like we're in this zone, this spiral of like housing prices and and stuff. Particular housing prices, I think, where and I think this was really the origin of Tang And I do, and I do suspect that our anti-work, a lot of it has to do with this. Like, for example, looking at anti-work here, and there's um a post that got 51,000 upvotes. NBC is so out of touch with reality. And the screenshot is of an NBC News tweet that says Millennials may not be having kids or getting married right now, but this generation is investing in home ownership with a twist. They're co buying houses with friends. And someone, you know, I guess, I guess uh, someone from the sub or someone responded What part of We're Poor aren't you people fucking understanding? This isn't some feel-good story. Many of us wanted families and homes for our families, but, uh, sorry, many of us wanted families and homes for our families, but we're opting for co-ownership instead because we can't afford anything else. And I think that, you know, that is uh, showing that I think housing prices, um, it's so high right now, and the generation before us got so fucking high off their own supply of like You know, runaway housing prices that made them all feel rich, even though they're living in the same house. Right? Uh, That um, it's it's made the just the the simple American dream uh, so clearly impossible, like from the outset. And so, if you're going to ask people to participate in this economic game, but the housing prices right off the bat tell you that you are never going to like win this game, why would I play?
0: Because, no, it'll be like an episode of Friends. You'll just live with your friends for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, you
2: romanticize that next. I've seen the exact same thing, Teen, Like One of the most unexpected places I've seen Ping show up mm-hmm. was in the subreddit R Ontario, which is really like just about yeah. stuff in our province, right?
0: Most exciting subreddit. In
2: I know, right? But I mean, all, all there is in that subreddit now is is it's 50% like COVID response shit in Ontario mm-hmm. and 50% like housing housing prices housing. in Toronto and Ontario yeah. are fucking bonkers. Like yeah. if houses aren't super fucking expensive in Toronto, they are expensive in every other small town in Ontario from all the people who are working from home and moving out to get a, a larger plot of land, right? And in one of, the, one of the recent posts, which was highly upvoted, where someone was basically saying like, what is the point of living here anymore? It <laughs> was basically the topic. Mm-hmm. One of the top uploaded comments was was like, "Hey, have you heard of this movement called Ten Ping?" Right, like it's, it's fucking yeah, everywhere. Yeah, I
1: saw you post that. It was fascinating, yeah. and I think you're, it is definitely related, right? Because a lot of people in China feel the same way. It's like, you know, you want me to participate in these intricate and life consuming games of you know careerism. But I know already that I can never, no matter what I do, I won't be able to afford a house. I and mean, the, pri- the prices are rising way too fast for I think me house- to ever catch up. So, why would I even start playing this game?
2: I think housing is one factor. Another factor is in the US, specifically healthcare, right? So, right now, if you go to anti work, the top post uh, under, under like um, trending posts, like hot posts, is a post with a picture of a guy it says, This is Alex Smith. He died this year at age 26 because he couldn't afford insulin in America. He made $35,000 a year as a restaurant manager, and he couldn't afford his $450 a month health insurance with a $7,600 $7, out-of-pocket deductible. Like It's extremely depressing. You know, this insulin story in the US, right? How people cross over to Canada to buy it at one-tenth the price um, it just continues to spiral out of control. And I think that that is also a driver um, for some folks with anti-work.
1: I mean, I think that this is the most the, – the idea that – that this is coalescing into not necessarily like a political movement. Like I've never thought that like the most like the most dangerous threatening thing that American workers could do would be to like do another Occupy Wall Street where everyone gets in a drum circle and people bring signs and they chant about how much they hate the CEO of Goldman Sachs and then, you know, oh, like, oh, here's, you know, here's Jamie Dimon and I drew like devil horns on him and, you know, oh, you know, he doesn't care. I don't give a fuck about that. What they do care about, I think is masses of people staying home and playing video games and saying, fuck this. I, I don't <laughs> even want to try. You, you, I think that, 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 that is a blue screen of death for like capitalism. If you have waves of young people saying like, look, I am not going to serve as the foundation for your system anymore. I'm not going to be there for you. And, If you can't get people to staff the restaurants, if you can't get people to deliver the packages, if you can't get people to pick up the trash, to clean up your patients, uh, to sweep the floors, all this stuff, you know, the whole system comes crashing down. I don't care how many investment bankers you have. And um, more power to them. And I hope they get what they're looking for. Because them, these people just saying, fuck it, I'm going to stay home. I think is a thousand times more threatening to the system than, you know, 1,000, uh, you know, demonstrations outside the headquarters of J.P. Morgan.
0: Place a four for the cause. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You, you know the notion of a, a general strike, right? Like it's kind of like that, but also kind of not <laughs> to mm-hmm. some extent. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when um, we had this uh, tech pod where Jimmy and uh, RK came on in, they, you know, they're both kind of like in an organizing space and they talked about how, with labor organization there's like a spectrum of like tactics or actions you can take and on the lightest end there's shit like writing letters and whatever right and then on the on the most powerful end is like a strike right like removing yourself from the labor force that's kind of what's happening here but not in a way where it's like around a union or one specific you know company or area it's kind of this general feeling of wanting to remove yourself from the labor force happening everywhere which is which is a little bit different from what you've seen like you know the kellogg strike and whatnot
1: um
2: yeah and I, I, I think, I, think I, of
1: it like you know if capitalism if our system was like sort of this unified system supposedly you know that what we're well you know like these these strikes or these demonstrations these sort of things they're like acute attacks on the system that can be easily defended right but what we're dealing with here is sort of like depression, you know. It is like a system-wide depression, a loss of morale, a total loss of just motivation. And I just, I think that's the most devastating thing—a loss of like energy and motivation and interest, and just saying like, "Fuck it, I, I'm not really that interested in these keratin sticks," you know. And 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 I, I understand now why, like in China, this was immediately seen as a threat and were immediately censored. And I and and you know and and just to prove that we're not like shills of the Chinese government or whatever like um because we have you know defended China a lot against a lot of xenophobic stuff but like I'm 100% on board with that. I mean you ultimately like you have to be responsive to the needs and the psych- psychological well-being of your young youngest workers who are first entering this war. You got to give them uh, a, a meaningful shot at success, if it's so stacked against them, and you have totally neglected this for decades, eventually, the morale of these people are going to break. And I and our anti work to me, when I read the post, I'm like, the people, this is, it's just well past their psychological capabilities. And they're like, yeah, fuck this. And and they're finding each other. I think the, the key is that they find each other. And normalize this reaction, not to feel like, you know what, despite me feeling shitty about work, despite me feeling like this is all stacked against me, you know, this may just be my own lack of motivation. What I got to do is try harder. And I always hated that, that like the way that people would, and I knew this, I saw this in people that I knew that felt overwhelmed or, or, or otherwise alienated from this system of work but put place it upon themselves to say, it is incumbent on me to adapt to it. I've got to adapt to the system. And there was never the sense that the system had to adapt to the worker uh, until now. You've got one point, almost 2 million people on a subreddit sharing stories about how abusive their work is, about how hopeless they feel about work. And I think that the, just the mere fact that they're normalizing this through memes, through shared stories, through screenshots of their text messages from their boss. Um, that is absolutely terrifying, uh, the ruling class. I really believe that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so far, we've been talking about quitting. Uh, you know, anti-work has a lot of stories of quitting. Uh, but I also think there's an important element to being experienced, the experience of being fired. Because, uh, you know, I recently found a new job and, for about two, like about two years ago, I was fired from a job, and in those two years, I've either worked, um, uh, e- like especially like af- after COVID, I-, I was essentially like furloughed slash unemployed. Then I found a job, but it was more like part time, and it w- it wasn't really until I got fired where I was able to really re-examine what I wanted out of work. Not that I was ever one who was invested in work. When I went to law school, I knew that this was just going to be a job to earn money to do things i really wanted to do namely writing uh but still it's i I think quitting especially i think i think this particularly goes for people who work nicely paid white collar type of job it's very hard to quit even when you're in shitty circumstances i actually wasn't in that kind of circumstance but a lot of people are in especially like high pressure fields and they just either get used to it think they deserve it or they just get addicted to a certain lifestyle I think there's something very liberating about being fired, as long as you know, obviously like plan prudently, and you know the, the ability to be kind of unemployed for a bit is also like a bonus. You know, not everyone can experience that, but if you do have it, I think it's a lot of people. I think it's very difficult for them to be the one to take that step. It ha- someone has to push you out, mm. and then you're able to just be like, okay, well, it's out of my hands. Now I'm in the situation. Uh, where for the first time perhaps in your life, like you've never been suspended from school, you've never gotten an F. Uh, Being fired is basically like being expelled and getting an F, you know? It's like, we don't want you anymore. And I think a lot of people, uh, especially in, as I said, these white collar fields, have never experienced that. And it like terrifies them. And, you know, I I wasn't terrified of that. In fact, I kind of knew, you know, going to law school, I I don't think I'll last that long in big law anyway. So I knew this day would one day come, but, you still don't really want it to happen. Uh, And then it happens. You're like, well, there it is. Now, uh, not the end of the world. I'll just, I'll just go on. And so uh, have you guys had any similar experiences where? Oh yeah. 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 So yeah. Can can I, I mean,
2: Chris, can I ask you? I mean, thanks for sharing. First of all. I mean, secondly, like, if you don't mind me asking, like, did you feel a sense of embarrassment
0: when that happened? No, uh, only I've never felt embarrassed. I felt (laughs) Okay, so I, I, my parents still think I work at that place that I got yeah. fired from uh, like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I think I will finally tell them uh, once I get started at this new job and everything because it, it's like, I, yeah. Yeah, it's smooth transition, right? Yeah, because like before I was in kind of more just like, eh, you know, neither here nor there kind of employment. Um, and I enjoyed it because I, I never had so much free time in my life. And it had been kind of what I've been working for. I've been like saving up all that stuff mm-hmm. and I, after about two years um, I got various personal projects done and I thought it's time for me to return um, I guess kind of ironically in the spirit of anti-work but not never once did I feel embarrassed in fact I kind of like to tell people about it because I thought but, it was but a it's funny in a story. Different
1: context right like your new job like it's not the same sort of like you know upwardly upward trajectory. Oh, no, no. I, this is kind you know. of
0: like, in the lawyer world, this is kind of like a slacker job. <laughs> but yeah. hey, I get like health benefits again for the first time in a long time, you mm-hmm. know, paid vacation, Uh, you know, pretty, relatively speaking, high salary, although it's nowhere near what I used to make, but you know, I, I had no time to even spend that hey, money. Hey, anyway. I,
1: I think, I fully support that because I feel like that is uh, going to be, like, that type of job is going to be the jewel that a lot of people are going to be hunting for pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause I think more and more this Tang King is not, I don't go to work Tang Ping is a, it's funny cause my, my friends and I like, we're always talking about this these days. <laughs> uh, my, my, like my, my old buddies from like high school and stuff. And, you know, we're all in our mid forties now. And, you know, a lot of us have evolved our view on work to be way, way less, you know, like advancement driven and more just like, how do I maximize my, you know, compensation to effort ratio?
3: <laughs> yeah, no, guys, that's and, the key and, thing. You know, yeah, and,
1: and when do I get the fuck out of here? Are you because guys- like we have been so blackpilled by work at this point that <laughs> you know we it's it's sad to see people young people become like so sucked you know, sucked into the corporate life. Yeah, they're so they're so eager beaver and they you know yeah, they, yeah. they want to make a difference and they, yeah. you know and it's kind of like I don't want to shit on their dreams. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I had this thing where my nephew was talking about, you know, what he wanted to do for a living and he wanted to be a medical researcher and stuff. And I'm like, that's great. And in fact, I think in Graeber's book, I was, and I sent him the excerpt, but I was like, they did a study and they found that medical researcher was like the least bullshit job. <laughs> so I'm like, good for you. <laughs> okay. But I mean, there's a lot of bullshit out there. And I was like, how do you tell someone about this without blackpilling them at, at the age of 14? You know, like, um, and I, I think some of it comes just with time, but to, uh, Chris, what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, I've, I mean, I, I, I have been laid off so many times because, you know, the, I've noted, I just realized like ever since the great financial crisis, you know, uh, there's just a shitload of, of uncertainty in the finance world. And they, there is no, um, guaranteed path. Like this is, you you know, your, your life can change on a dime because you get laid off one day. And I think for me, the last time I got laid off, uh, it was because I had basically not sabotaged my own review, but I basically kind of like, I knew that layoffs were coming. And I told my boss, like, look, next, next time we do this review, I seriously want to have a real discussion as to whether I'm actually cut out for this job. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And I was like, yeah, it's a good idea. He's like, why? I don't think that's going to be good for you. And I basically told him, I was like, I'm not really enjoying this job at all. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that was a really bad thing. But I also was signaling to him, like, please lay me off if you have to cut heads because I don't really (laughs) want to work here anymore. And I want to leave with Severance.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, that's the thing. Yeah.
1: You know, I don't want
0: to get Get fired for cause. So
1: I'm going to show up every day. But if there's a chance for you to get me out of here with Severance, please do it. And they did it. And it was, like, one of the happiest days of my life. Oh, so that was that day. Yeah. I remember I got a call. And my it was funny because, like, my boss was, like, absolutely pale fit He was so terrified of what he had to do. And I was like, yo, bro, don't worry about it. <laughs> this is actually
2: an ideal situation for me.
1: It's fine. T- it's T- I wanna, fine.
2: I want to ask you, you and your high school friends and your chats and stuff, right? Like, yeah. you're all black belt and so on. Are you guys, like, strategizing, like, helping each other figure out how to coast,
1: basically? Like, how to tamping? I mean, it's not not exactly because well, yes, a little bit. I mean, not we talk about they're a little different because they have they they all have kids, yeah, um, and so they've got to think about legacy. They've got to think about leaving behind some wealth for their kids. And so they're a lot of times they're thinking about how much do I have to leave my kids so they're secure,
3: mm-hmm. which
1: is a huge thing. So like their tongue Ping is very different than my Tang Ping, which is like, bro, I don't give a fuck. right like i I really don't care. I mean, just to take care of myself is probably not going to be very difficult. But um, w- I would say that we have all seen through the, you know, w- we we all have a very like adversary relationship with our employees at this point. Like we don't mm-hmm. care about our jobs in that sense, except for I need it. And we all have and I was just talking with a friend because I'm down here in Maryland at my parents' place to celebrate Chinese New Year's. And I went to go see some a friend last night from high school. That, you <laughs> you know, thank you. And uh, we were talking about how you have to avoid the, hand, the golden handcuffs. Like we know so many people <laughs> that have over leveraged themselves because they've sort of like over invested into that identity of being like, you know, uh, a lawyer or, or whatever it is that they are. That they've looked into deep into their own future, assumed that they're going to be on the track the whole time and said, fuck it, I'm going to get the giant mortgage. I'm going to just overload on debt because they feel like it's reliable. And it's not just whether you're going to get laid off. It's whether you can actually function, like whether you're going to be committed for the long term like that. And we were of the of agreement. He, he was talking about his own neighbors and friends. He was like, yeah, most people in this country are totally overlevered. Um, They've got way too much debt. They've got kids in private school. They've got luxury cars. They've mm-hmm. got nannies. They've got all mm-hmm. this shit. They barely afford it. They've got massive credit card bills that you wouldn't believe. And they're in debt, um, and he was like, "That's a, we were both like that would be a terrifying place to be, um, especially if suddenly it dawns on you that on you that you don't want to do any of this stuff, you know."
2: Yeah, and if, if I were to add my you know my kind of personal story here alongside you guys too, like I think it's uh, what what Chris was saying about like lifestyle, you know, maintaining lifestyle. What you were just saying to Teen, um, and and also what you were saying, Teen, about like life course, like do you have a family? Do you have children to take care of? Makes for a very different path to doing the whole tamping anti work thing, than if you didn't, right? Like in my case, like you know, I, there's a couple of factors here, right? Like for one, I just you know I just bought a home, I have a mortgage now. That changes things a lot from having like cheap rent, right, or relatively cheap rent mm-hmm. in Toronto. Um, so that that changes my calculus for for like how to coast if I ever want to get to a point where I'm coasting. Um, and then the other factor too, I think, is also like the kind of work you do might change your ability to. Tang Ping or to coast versus other work, and I think you know you guys are lawyers. I, I don't know what the situation is there, but I'm in tech, and tech is famously the line of work where people buy into work because it's like their purpose or whatever. And I've definitely done that too with my own startup and with you know my my previous work at, at, at a big bigger company, um, and now as well. Um, and and I also think the kind of work you do also matters too, right? Like in, in my case, I'm a, a product manager, and it's basically in your job desi- uh, description to take initiative, (laughs) right? Like Tang Ping is like the opposite of what you're supposed to do to like just function at a normal rate at your job. You're supposed to be constantly like pushing the company forward, pushing the product forward, you know, driving other people and so on, driving stuff forward, like taking initiative and um, having that drive. And so it's inherently hard to coast with that kind of job to the point where at one point I was, I I realized this. And when I was thinking about making the next move, like from my startup to this next job, I was like, shit, maybe I should just go back to being a programmer because as a programmer, as like a software engineer, it's easier to coast, right? You could just like not be a manager, right? Just like be a senior software engineer and just like fix bugs and write write features that product managers tell you to write. And then that's it. And in fact, it's so easy to do that if you're good that, you know, these days people are like apparently getting two or three different jobs at different companies working remote, right? Making like three six-figure salaries at the same time. Um, that they can just coast ahead. I didn't take that path because I don't want to do that anymore. But it's certainly like the the kind of work you have, I think, factors into whether or not you can adopt this like anti-work or Tang Ping lifestyle, if you want to call it that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, what's so funny was like, um, uh, you know, I used to be someone who like, what, what, Like I think you were very into sort of like the, the, the deep structure of like tech and the meaning of it and stuff. And I, I used to mm-hmm. be like that with finance. Like really? when I was working particularly like when I – you know, after the financial oh, crisis. Dodd, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, w- yeah. I went – yeah, I was working on Dodd-Frank and I, I was just like the Dodd-Frank person. Like I fashioned myself to be like very curious and interested in what was going on in uh, in the financial world. And I've changed so much where like now I'm working. I'm not even like a, a regular employee. I just do contract work now, right? Because I just don't want to be tied down to, you know, like a career path within within a bank. And so I do contract-based work. And, you know, the, the money is good. I don't have to worry about bonus. I just get paid like a pretty f- nice flat fee. And so I really don't give a shit. Like I'm working on this thing where I basically like – there's a reason I'm telling you this detail – I'm working on this thing where I go look at like old, deal, old, very complicated deals, uh, structured deals with all sorts of counterparties in them, and I have to do one thing. I have to change the interest rate, which is based on LIBOR. The it's like this benchmark for interest rates. I have to change it from LIBOR because LIBOR has been made essentially it's been essentially outlawed. You can't use LIBOR anymore, and we've got to change it to something called like SOFR, right? And I don't. care. I never ask questions as to why this is. I don't care. I know. I heard vague rumblings about what it is, and I never even asked. And I just delved headfirst into the thing. And I like. I just didn't give a shit about why I was doing it. I just did it. And I do it well. But I don't care what it is. And then someone in our Discord posted a video about one of these like former Fed FOMC traders, uh, Joseph Wang. I don't know if you've seen them the videos in Discord, but he talks a lot about inflation and and all this stuff and. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'll, I'll watch. And the guy's very smart, so I was watching the video. And then, as like a side note to one of the uh, podcasts that he did, you know, he was a guest on. He was like, yeah. And then so there's this huge push for the Fed to, uh, you know, change all the deals from LIBOR over to SOFR. <laughs> and I was like, huh. Eh? And and then he explained why. I don't care enough to explain I, to to rehash it here. But this guy is basically explaining like why I'm doing my job, and I've been doing this for like right. over a year, and I had no idea that that was the reason for it. <laughs> you know, right? And that's th- that's who I am now. Like I don't. So you're,
2: you're saying you basically went you went through a huge mindset change where you care deeply about the why of your work to doing the same work of well, not maybe not the same job, but like doing effectively the same profession, but ditching the why.
1: Yeah, and there's this guy that at work is very friendly with me and he's always like chatting with me on IM and he's like sending me news clippings and, oh, did you see our bank is in the news? Or, oh, did you see what the Fed said? Did you hear what Jay Powell said? And I'm like, <laughs> right. I-, I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is very nice. I'm glad. And he is—he was me like several years ago, you know. He's like very into it. And yeah. I don't want to rain on his parade, so I don't tell him I don't give a shit. Yeah, But I just give him like a minimal, huh, that's interesting. But I, I, like, I never read the links, you know, I just <laughs> just don't yeah. care. I guess, um, I mean,
2: I guess this is what i going to get into with, like, the whole, the profession may drive your ability to tamping or, you know, do anti-work. Like, to perform anti-work is that you can, you, it sounds like in, in, you know, your guys' work in, like, law and so on, corporate law, right, financial law and so on, you can kind of get away with politely saying, I don't care. Whereas in my work as like a product manager at a tech company, if I say I don't care in any any way, uh, you, I'm instantly fired. In right. fact, I I almost gave it away in a meeting with my manager at one point where I'm like, <laughs> oh, I think our my the thing I'm working on is like lower priority than this other thing that's more important. And he was like, he was I I, I knew I fucked up. when I said that to him, yeah. so I, I had to put on the facade. But at the same time, I'm you know all this like tampering anti work talk has definitely rubbed off of me to the point where I'm now kind of like plotting how to. In the best possible way, you know, coast. Mm. Um, even though my job title doesn't allow for it, you know, trying to strategize like, hey, how do I if I don't if I don't coast at the company, how how do I at least make sure that I extract as much kind of experience or like clout from my work here that if I do get fired, I can get the same job, the same salary, you know, within a couple of weeks, right? Because um, I I do
1: have things like a mortgage and stuff and family to worry about, right? So you I think know, it's I, th- a co- I think I think I think it is a covert. Thing. Like, you can't it go in convert. and just be like, hey, convert. you can't wear your tongue Ping t shirt and be like, hey, everyone, you know what this means? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, if I lie down, the shears of capitalism can't cut me, so I'm yeah. just working to the rule, baby. Like, you can't, you can't go to work saying that. <laughs> no. But, you know, you just kind of do it in your own little covert way. Yeah. You know? I think anyone
2: can. I think yeah. I think anyone can, and I think that's maybe the the biggest fear behind anti work is. I think if you, if you actually look at anti work, a lot of the stories that really resonate are like the more blue collar kind of service work ones. But there's there's hints that there's all sorts of people in there across all sorts of work, right? Including people who are at like knowledge jobs, bullshit jobs, that kind of stuff, who are also catching onto this idea as well.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. all right uh we're about at an hour and a half so i think it's a good time to wind it down uh i I think if our listeners can glean anything i think i I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners tend to be kind of like white collar you know well-educated asian americans and they just they they share a lot of the sentiments as the like anti-work subreddit even if they're not part of the same like Mm -hmm. class of employment and I mean, that's why I kind of brought up that the firing story. Sometimes you just need that nudge. I'm not encouraging anyone to get fired or anything, but uh, you know, it's like if if you, just don't. It's about it's too about getting over the fear. Job.
2: It's just about getting over the fear of being fired. I think more than you know wanting to be fired or getting yourself fired, right? Yeah, just you, ha- you have more control if you get over the fear. That's exactly what's going on in anti work. Everyone's gotten over the fear of being <laughs> fired, or or in their kind of like community um, build up, they they are getting more, you know, they they're growing thicker skin as a worker.
0: Yeah, just like don't ever define yourself by your job. Find another source of your, yourself so that – because you're never going to last forever at your job, especially these days. So, you know, you're going to have to – it's going to come sooner or later. Might as well prepare for it sooner.
1: Yeah, especially for like high-achieving high, high achieving Asian, you know, people who have not ever known what it feels like to, to uh, you know, to get kicked out of school or – feels great. To, to, yeah but have there yeah like I you know I had the I had the luck of having been suspended before in in high school and stuff, but mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're so used to being praised all the time, you know, I think work in particular is a rough adjustment for a lot of us that have been grown accustomed to being praised all the time because that's not how work works. Work intentionally uses depending on who your manager is, but most managers eventually, Use ways of making you feel like shit about yourself to motivate you. <laughs> and if that doesn't work on you, it's not your fault. It's that, you know, that's how work is. Like, it's just, it's a negative shitty thing for the most, for most people. And it's broken. I think the work is fundamentally broken and uh, you're not wrong to feel alienated from it. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. so. And I, and, and, and doing shit like this helps me a lot. You know, just side projects that really aren't about making money. I think it's important to have something in your life that you do that's not around money. Uh, so I'm thankful we, you know, we get together and do this podcast once a week. I, I love how sure. you're like,
2: you know, it's all about not making money and we just put up a new store. <laughs> <to sell
0: merch. laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that, that, you know, those hey, funds we we don't use it to enrich ourselves Yeah, you know, right that, we like, have never it goes back into the pod and stuff
1: <laughs> we have never yeah uh, this is the, i will say this absolutely we have never used the funds to enrich ourselves whatever excess cash we have which is you know we do have excess cash it is sitting there um to, to fund you know writing by people other than ourselves and uh and to try and do something we just haven't really sat down and Come up with a great plan as to how to use that, <laughs> other yeah. than what we've been doing. Which yeah. you know,
3: is, COVID
2: I just put right a real
1: uh,
0: damper on that.
2: Yeah, you know,
1: mm-hmm. but.
0: I, had, I had a
2: great time um, making the the time t shirt because the whole time I just like the irony swirling around it, right? Like the fact that we're talking about anti work and we're to put up a store selling t shirts. <laughs> and Just to be clear to listeners, like that we we made the margins super slim. Like we could charge way more. And it will go towards the same fund that our, our Patreon um, uh, members uh, fund today—the Asian American Writers Fund. So it, it's for a good purpose. And then the other thing that's kind of funny about it too is like we're a bunch of Asian Americans knocking off a Chinese design.
1: But that—that's just probably still made in China anyway. So <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look—it's way cooler than the hashtag Very Asian T-shirt. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Everything is cooler than that. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh, let's close it off there, uh, listeners. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you know, uh, we'll release the bonus pod later in the week. So tune in for that. Uh, so until next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Yeah.
1: Really enjoyed this one. Good one. Cool.